Mark chapter 7. For those of you who are guests with us today, again, we welcome you. And on, on Sunday mornings, we're going through the gospel of Mark. And for someone who calls me every week and asks me where we'll be preaching today, I'll be glad to tell them today it was not Mark chapter 6, because I've been telling that for a number of weeks. So we're on Mark chapter 7. So let's stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God. And we'll read a a portion of this chapter. If you're able to stand with us, please follow along, beginning in the first verse of Mark chapter 7. Then came together unto him, unto Jesus, unto him, the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, With unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, this is a part of their tradition, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, if they observe this, if they watch what's taking place, they ask Jesus, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. To me, this has to be one of those moments when someone asked Jesus a question, and soon after regretted they even brought the subject up. Because Jesus gave them what seems to be like a scathing rebuke for their position, for what they're thinking. And uh, we're not going to look at all that today. But this is such, to me, a fascinating passage of Scripture. It's so relevant, not only to their generation, but to our generation. It's a spiritual discussion that is very intense between Jesus and these religious leaders. And the the fault of these religious leaders were they were holding their traditions above the Word of God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into this passage. But today we're going to begin with really an introduction to what a part of their problem is, these critics. And that is found in the last part of verse 2 where it says this, They found fault. And I want to just zero in on that aspect of their problem. They found fault because that is not just something they were guilty of. It's something we can also be guilty of. 
And I think you'll see that as we move through the message. Let's bow our heads and ask for God's help today as we study His Word. Father, please bless today as we study and, and uh, learn from the Word of God. We ask for the Spirit of God to be our teacher. We ask for your power, your leadership. God, help us to have open minds and hearts to receive with meekness the engrafted Word that is able to save our soul. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again for standing. So it says there in verse 2, they found fault. Now let's just begin by answering a question. What, what is a fault? A fault. Um, I mentioned this to a group of men yesterday. We were having a meeting early yesterday morning and I, and I was talking about faults. And uh, they ask, what is the fault? One of them says, it's a place where you may have an earthquake. And that's true. <laughs> but that's not the kind of fault we're talking about here. A fault is an imperfection. A fault is a mistake. It's a defect. It's a flaw. A fault is where a person is wrong. Now these Pharisees in verse 2 felt that they had found a fault with the disciples of Jesus. It says they found Fault. They didn't just think they found a fault, they were convinced they found a fault, and it was with the disciples of Jesus, but thus it was also with Jesus. Because he wasn't what they were what they were bent out of shape over, what was taking place, them not washing their hands, uh, the, Jesus wasn't concerned about. And so it wasn't just with the disciples, it was also with Jesus. By the way, this perceived fault had nothing to do with with sin, it had nothing to do with disobedience to the law, and and they, they were charging these disciples with not observing one of their traditions, having to do again with washing their hands. Now, I just want to emphasize something for a moment about Jesus. Jesus was not, never has been, and never will be guilty of sin or breaking any law of God. Pilate said this, I think, five times in one way or another, I find no fault in this man. Now, Pilate wasn't always a man of great wisdom, but he, his observation was, I find no fault in this man. Jesus is without sin. Jesus is without any imperfection. You know, he is the perfect and sinless Savior, the holy Lamb of God. That takes away the sins of the world. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes Jesus may do something that we don't agree with or we don't understand. Sometimes he may say things that we don't fully comprehend. But he's not at fault when he does that. It just means that our understanding is flawed. Our wisdom is imperfect. But God is always perfect. Now, why do I I underscore this? Why is this so important? Because if Jesus sinned in any way, ever... He could not be the sinless sacrifice for the sins of the human race. He was without sin. The writer of Hebrews says this, He was in all points, in all points, any area, He was tempted like as we're tempted, yet without sin. He never sinned. The only person, young person, the only person ever born that never had a sinful thought or a sinful word, or a sinful action was Jesus Christ. 
He was crucified without sin. That he could be the sacrifice for sinners. Thank God for that. And he provides eternal salvation, which includes the forgiveness of sin. He forgives us our sins. He only can forgive sins. Why? Because He is the sinless Savior. And for everyone who receives Him, for everyone, young or old, who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the sinless sacrifice for sin, the moment they trust in Him completely, they are forgiven of their sins, and heaven will be their home, and God will be their Father, and their life will be changed forever. Aren't you glad about that? For those of us who are saved, we say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God for His salvation. If you're here today and you're not saved, you need to be saved. And there's only one way. Jesus said this. We didn't make this up. Jesus said this. Surely you believe Jesus can be trusted. Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one door, only one entrance, only one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. The Savior who was without sin. You say, how could anybody be without sin? Because He was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. God who became a man to die for our sin. Anyone who claims that they have found fault in Jesus is at best mistaken. Confused. These people, I don't think, were just mistaken and confused. I think they were malicious. They had, I think they were against him. So that's what a fault is. Now that brings us to this passage, this subject of finding fault. Now faults exist. You may not realize this. But mistakes and faults and imperfections, as a matter of fact, they exist in all of us. They exist in all of us. All of us are sinners, right? All of us have sinned against God. All of us have broken God's law. If we're honest, we can see faults in ourselves. By the way, I mentioned this about being saved, and this is not incidental. It's important. The only way a person can ever be saved is to recognize that they're a sinner. They have to see that they've sinned against God. They have to see that they've broken God's law. It's not, I mean, I feel like before I got saved, I'd sinned against my mother. I'd sinned against my family. I'd sinned against friends. I'd sinned against our, our, our laws of our nation. But most importantly, I'd sinned against God. We have to acknowledge with repentance our personal guilt and sin. But I'm telling you, when we turn to Christ, we can be saved. Now, to me, I have, I have a hard time, a little bit of a hard time understanding this. Because I've always, as long as I can remember, seen myself as a wicked sinner. You know what I'm saying? And yet I talk to people who act like they don't even know if they have sinned. They don't, even un- they don't really understand the se- severity of sin. And I'm a little bit off my track a little bit. But let me tell you something. There's something flawed when we don't see ourselves as, number one, we don't see God as He really is. Holy, altogether holy and pure. And we don't see ourselves as we are. We, we are born with a sinful nature. I heard someone say this just recently. None of you children, your mom or dad never taught you how to be selfish. It came natural. It's a part of our sinful nature. We all, all of us are sinners. 
And in life, we have to own up to our own imperfections. Have you ever had to say this? It was my fault. Right? That's what the word fault is. It's a sin. It's an error. It was my fault. We have to, we have to acknowledge our sinfulness. You know, James, James said this in the, in the book of James in the Bible. He said, confess your faults one to another. Do you remember reading that in the Bible? Confe- that means sometimes we have to acknowledge our wrongs to others. Even, even those that we may have offended in the body of Christ, in the church. We have to see, I'm just saying, we need to see our faults and confess them to God. And sometimes we have to acknowledge our faults to one another. But the other aspect of this passage of finding fault has to do with seeing faults, not just in ourselves, but seeing faults in others. And sometimes, you may not be this way, it seems like to me, it's easier for me to see faults in others than it is in myself. You say, well, I don't ever see faults in myself. Well, talk to me about it, because I see them, I can show you. No. <laughs> and by the way, this is an important thing to understand. Hold your finger right here in Mark chapter 7, and turn to the left in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. And you see Jesus used this word in another place. Matthew chapter 18. I forgot to tell you the chapter. And I'm not going to go through this entire passage. I just want to read one verse and... Just comment about it. But Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Notice what it says. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. And here's not just talking about your blood brother. He's talking about someone that's a a Christian brother, spiritual brother. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his what? Fault. Between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, there's much more to say about that, but for the sake of time, let's just look at how this pertains to what we're talking about today. If someone trespasses against you, that means they sin against you, you're to go and do what? Tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's when a person wrongs you in some way. We're talking about faults. We all have faults. We ought to see our own faults. We have to confess our own faults. Sometimes we have to confess our faults to one another. But when someone wrongs us, we're to go to them personally and address this fault according to Jesus. By the way, that's the best response to have when somebody does something against you. Go directly to them and talk to them. Don't go to someone else. Don't talk about it to your friends. Don't announce it on the prayer list. Don't post it on Facebook. (laughs) Go directly to that person and talk to them. That's, that's our responsibility when someone else has a fault. Now, you may not see where I'm going with this, but this is how you ought to do when you see someone that has a fault. You ought to go to them and help them if they trespassed against you. But go now with me, if you would, please, over further to the book of Galatians. And again, I just want to read one verse because I want to stay laser-focused on our text today and our passage. But Galatians chapter 6. Again, this is talking about seeing a fault in someone else. If they trespass against you, go talk to him about his fault. 
Now, there, there could be someone sitting here today and that applies to you. I don't know that it would, but it might. You know, you've seen someone, they've done something against you. Maybe, maybe they've said something or done something. What are you to do? Go directly to them and talk to them about that. But look in Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Now, here's not, this is not talking about someone who sinned against you... This is someone that you've seen, you know, that has been overtaken in a, what? Fault. That means that, means that they have been, they've been taken captive. They've been, they're in bondage to it. They've, look at what it said. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Now, we've taught on this many times before, but what, what if you see someone overtaken in a fault? What if you see someone whose fault, has, his, his, his faults have taken control of him, really? Well, you know what you're to do? Again, you're not supposed to just tell people about it. You're not supposed to criticize them. You're not supposed to post it on Twitter or Instagram. What are you supposed to do? If you're spiritual, you're to go to them. And try to restore them. See if you can restore them and help them. Now, do we all agree that's what the Bible says? Right? We all have faults. All of us do. And we ought to confess our faults. We ought to acknowledge our faults. We ought to confess our faults to others at times. If someone sins against you, you ought to go to them. And you ought to talk about this fault. And if you see someone struggling in sin, the Bible says... They've been overtaken by a fault. Then if you're spiritual, you're to go and help them. Why, why spiritual? Because you realize, but by the grace of God, that could be you. But for the grace of God, right? We're not judging or criticizing them. So all of this has to do with our text. Go back now, if you would, to Mark chapter 7. And let's look at this passage together for a few more minutes. It says in verse 2, when there was... When there were some of his disciples, when they saw, excuse me, some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. They found fault. Now, sometimes you can find something without looking for it. Have you ever done that? Maybe you'll be walking along, you find a nickel, you weren't looking for it. But, but, but most every day I find something because I'm looking for it. My wife will tell you, I, I can't find my glasses. I can't find my keys, you know. I, you know, and I find them, and I rejoice because I find them. But you know how I found them? I was looking for them, right? You know why, you know why I think these people found fault? Because they were looking for fault. And I think the Scripture brings this out. By the way, notice what it says in verse 1, they came from Jerusalem. If you know anything about the geography of the New Testament, Jerusalem is not in Galilee. Jerusalem is in Judea. And Jesus, the last record we have of Jesus in Mark chapter 6, he was in Gennesaret. Gennesaret is on the northwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem is in Judea, then you have Samaria, then you have Galilee, and he's in the northern part of Galilee. This is not an exaggeration 
Jesus was probably about 80 to 100 miles from Jerusalem. They traveled by foot 80 to 100 miles to get there. Three days at three miles an hour would get you 90 miles in a day. Imagine walking 90 miles to get to Jesus. And why are they coming from Jerusalem all the way up there to talk to Jesus? If they were coming to learn about Him, if they were coming to worship Him, if they were coming to to honor Him, we would say praise God for their devotion. But that was usually not their purpose. Matter of fact, you're in Mark chapter 7, just go a couple of pages to the left to Mark chapter 3. This kind of gives us an idea of how these people were. And and I could give you other places as well. Mark chapter 3 and verse 3, excuse verse 2, it says, And they watched him, these people watched Jesus, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might rejoice with him. Is that what your Bible says? No, that they might accuse him. They were looking for something to accuse him for. We find, we find this in Luke's, Luke chapter 11. We find it in Luke chapter 7, I believe it is. These people were watching. These people were going to where Jesus was. They traveled three days probably to get to where Jesus was. They're not going because they want to learn of Him. They're jealous. They're, he's, he's a threat to their, their society in, in so many words. But they were trying to find something they could accuse Him of. They wanted to find fault. They wanted to criticize Jesus. Can you imagine this? Imagine following Jesus from place to place, from town to town, for the express purpose of finding something to be critical of. I just want to say, may God help us to never be guilty of such. Just looking for something that was wrong. And one might say, well, these were Pharisees, pastor. These were Pharisees. These were lost people. They were were different than us, and, and we're his disciples. Do you know disciples of Jesus can have the same tendency? Let me give you one example. Matter of fact, I may give you more than one, but go to the right. We're coming back to Mark 7. Go to the right, the very next gospel to the right, Luke chapter 11. No, excuse me, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 9. Luke Luke 11 was another occasion where they were... The Pharisees were finding fault. Luke chapter 9, look in verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this. Now, whose disciples? They were Jesus' disciples. We have their names, James and John. This is what they said. Lord... Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Now that's really an interesting request. I never read this without thinking about it. This is is good stuff. Lord, would you like for us to just call down fire and just consume them? Just burn them to a crisp. Turn them into charcoal. Would that be okay? (laughs) Right answer. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. He didn't rebuke the people that they were talking about who were not respecting him. That's what they were saying. They don't respect you in so many words. 
He rebuked the disciples and said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. Isn't that something? They had a bad spirit. They, were, they had this critical, antagonistic spirit. Now, we could say, well, they're trying to defend Jesus, and that's true. But Jesus rebuked them for it. Let's go to one other place. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. And Matthew chapter 7, 1 is one, it has become one of the most well-known verses in America. Judge not that you be not judged, right? I mean, everybody knows that. Used to as John 3, 16, that's Matthew 7, 1. But I want to get to verse 3. He's teaching, he's teaching in this great message in verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now again, we've taught entire messages on this passage in Matthew 7. We don't have the time to do that today. But notice two words. He says, why beholdest thou? The word beholdest, think about that word. Beholdest means you're concentrating on it. You're looking at it. You're focused. Why beholdest thou the moat? Now you wouldn't, I think about a moat, it's a ditch around a castle, that's the kind of moat we think about, but this is not the word moat. This is the moat, be like a little speck, like a speck of sawdust, or that little thing you get in your eye sometime, and you can't even see it, but you feel it's in there. He said, why, why are you concentrating on that little thing in your brother's eye? And then he says, and considerest not which means consider not mean you don't even give any thought to the beam that's in thine own eye. Now think about this. Put this, Jesus taught in ways we can understand. How is it you can look all the way across the room and you can see this tiny little thing in their life and you've got a two by four in your eye and you can't even see that? Is that right or wrong? It's the same kind of thing of finding fault. How easy it is to see these little imperfections in other people but overlook the glaring imperfections in our own lives. They found fault. To find fault is to criticize, is to point out flaws. Now the question is, is it possible for us to be too focused on the little things in other people's lives and too disinterested in the flaws in our own life? And the answer is absolutely. It's something we can all have problems with. They traveled a great distance and they found fault. But by, the fault they found was not even a fault. It was a perceived fault. They thought it was a fault, but it was just they weren't observing the traditions. It wasn't really a fault at all. The critical spirit is a bad thing to have, isn't it? I mean, are you all with me today? You follow what I'm saying? You see the application? It can, it, can, it can become a habit that's hard to break. Being negative or finding fault or being critical. Giving, it can happen to any of us. We, can, we give too much attention to a thing that might be negative and overlook things that are praiseworthy, things that, are, things that are good, things that are positive. 
I'm, I'm not going to turn to it, but it's what is explained in the, several times in the book of Proverbs about unequal weights or measures or balances. Have you ever read that in Proverbs? It was, a, it, was a, it was a dishonest thing. If you were to go buy merchandise, if you go to the market and they would have a set of scales, they'd put your, your turnip greens or whatever it is on here and they'd put a scale up there. But you had two different sets of scales. You'd have one set of scales when you're buying something so you get more for your weight. <clears throat> you have a different set of scales for when you're selling something. You, get, you see what I'm saying? It was unequal. That's what we do sometimes. We have one standard for ourselves and another standard for everybody else. We make excuses for what we do, but we, we come down hard on what someone else does. It's giving, and this doesn't just apply to me, to, to just what we would call these spiritual disciplines. It could apply to many things. It could apply to many things in our life where we become, you know, more concerned, more consumed would be a better word, with something that might not be right and overlook all the things that might be good. Imagine finding fault with Jesus. Minding me so, imagine being so critical that with all of his teaching and all of his words and all of his miracles, the only thing you could focus on was this perceived fault he had. That's sick. Would you agree with that? That is sick. But if we're not careful, we can become like that. And I, I don't have the time really to dig into why we might be prone to finding fault, but I think jealousy is a part of it. I think unforgiveness sometimes is a part of it. I think pride is a part of it. We want to make ourselves look good by making someone else look bad. And it lends itself to all kinds of biblical sins like tail-bearing and gossip and, and slander. These Pharisees, now we're going to dig into this next week, and I'm going to turn back to Mark uh, chapter 7. But these Pharisees, Jesus had a word for them. And it's a, it's, it's a hard word. I won't say it's harsh, but it was a hard word in verse 6. He called them hypocrites. They were hypocritical. And by the way, if I, if I judge other, if I give myself an excuse, if I give myself a pass... If I give myself grace because of my imperfections, but I don't give grace to others, I'm being a hypocrite. That's hypocritical. That's a terrible sin. And I think a couple of things, just generally speaking, lend itself to that. Number one, it means we're not seeing our faults like they really are. We're not seeing ourselves. All of us have imperfections. All of us have flaws. All of us have faults. But I think, I think when, when we judge others harshly, it means we're not taking our sin as seriously as we should. I think the more, the more that we're aware of the grace of God in our own lives, the undeserving, unmerited grace of God in our own lives, the less we're going to be apt to be so critical of others. The more we might extend grace to them. And second of all, then, we're not, so we're not seeing ourselves actually. Second of all, we're not seeing others the way we should. First of all, usually these sins happen. We don't, we don't do this. We don't do this to the people that, that, we, that are living out in sin and don't know the Lord and don't care about the things of God. We this thing to each other. We're brothers and sisters. We don't see ourselves as we ought to. 
But not only that, according to the verses we read earlier, now make this point. The Bible says when you see the fault in other people, you do have an obligation or responsibility. You ought to pray for them, but you ought to go to them. You ought to try to help them. If it seems like they're drowning in their sin, you ought to try to help lift them up. Not criticize them. I'm glad we sang the song earlier in the service, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Because I also think sometimes this critical spirit is because our focus is wrong. We, we get to focusing on, on maybe one thing that's negative and overlook positive things that exist. And even, even people, it can happen at church. We come to church. You know, what, you know what the primary focus in church ought to be? It's not the lighting or the comfort of the chairs or the temperature of the room. If, the tie, if my tie matches my suit. If someone got in your chair this morning. <laughs> you know what our focus ought to be on? It ought to be on Jesus. If I can't come to church and my focus be on and remain on Jesus, it's my fault. My focus is not right. They found fault because they were looking for it. In Mark chapter 7, and we'll wrap this up here in a moment. Look, look if you would please, because Jesus, later on in this chapter, and we'll deal with this more in a couple of weeks. But look in verse 7. 21, where he's explaining the real root of their problem. He says, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Maybe that was just a coincidence. He used the phrase evil, evil thoughts. Or maybe he was tying that to their thoughts. If you look a little further into that passage in verse 22, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, An evil eye, a critical eye. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within. You know where all that comes from? All those things, a critical spirit, an overemphasis on the flaws of others. All those things, I'm not saying we shouldn't see faults. I'm just saying if we see them, there's a biblical way to respond to them. But you know where those things, those are manifestations of a, Spiritual problem in a person's heart. I, I've, I've been pastor here for 38 years. And I've seen a lot of things. But this is one thing that I've seen more than once. And I'm, I'm remembering specifically, this happened many years ago over in the other building. Where a person came to me on more than one occasion because of things they were seeing that were wrong. Not just in me, but just in the church in general. But I discovered something. When a person has that tendency, you can never fix enough stuff to fix them. The only way to fix them has to happen in their heart. They're manifestations of a spiritual problem. I'm not saying seeing an error that needs to be addressed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about them finding fault with Jesus over nothing. In my studies, I ran across an interesting survey 
that was done years ago by a psychiatrist who worked for the Veterans Administration. And he released this information in an article and later in a book. But he was studying the causes of mental and emotional disturbances. And he had, had ten, think about this, 10,000 case studies. And in those 10,000 case studies, he discovered that there was a common trait with all the patients who, severe, who suffered from severe tension, being on edge. This was what he said. They were habitual fault finders, constant critics of people and things around them. And he found that those who were free from tension, that's where I'd like to live. Those that were free from tension were the least critical. The conclusion of his report was this. That those who wish to retain good emotional and mental health should learn to free themselves from a negative and critical attitude. Isn't that an interesting thing? One of the best things you and I can do for ourselves is to free ourselves from a negative and critical attitude. A critical spirit dwells on the negative, focuses on flaws rather than the positive qualities. And it doesn't have to be a person. It could just be things in general. So the thing that started this dialogue, this teaching moment in Mark chapter 7, was because they found fault. They found fault with the disciples directly. They found fault with Jesus indirectly. And the fault that they found was no fault at all. Here's the application. First of all, it reminds me that all of us have faults. And there are proper ways to deal with them. Right? We're to recognize them. We're to confess them. We may need to confess them to others. We may need to say it was my fault. But it also warns us about the danger of being fault finders. If I have any hesitancy about this message, and I really don't have a hesitancy, but if I had one, it would be this, that people think, well, we're just supposed to ignore it. No, we're supposed to deal with sin. It's not that we ignore sin. It's just that we deal with it in the right way. Amen? They found fault. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand Because I already know the answer. Here's the question. Have you ever had any faults in your life? And I know the answer. We all have. We've all sinned against God. But Jesus, the sinless one, died for our sins. And if you're here today, young person, adult, if you're here today, And you don't know that you've been saved. If you don't know that you've been forgiven of your sins, there's only one way to be forgiven. And that's when, by faith, trusting in the sacrifice of the sinless one who gave his life as a sacrifice for your sin. And the moment you look to him in faith, the moment, like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... 
The moment you put your trust and faith in him, you'll be saved. And if you're not saved, you ought to get saved today. I know some people here today are not saved. Some of you have been thinking about it. I've talked to some of you about it. You've been thinking about it. and God's been working in you about it. You ought to come today if you want help with that. We're here to help you with that. Amen? And if you're here today, and as I have tried in my own feeble way to deal with this matter of fault finding, if you're here today and you see that tendency in your own life, let's take advantage of this moment and say, God, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to, I don't want to be one that focuses so much on the negative that I miss all the good things that are going on in life.